From Washington, I'm David Schultz, and this is Talking Tax. Well, we've heard from management. Now let's hear from labor. A few weeks ago, Bloomberg tax reporter Naomi Jagoda interviewed the head of the IRS, Danny Werfel, about how the agency would spend its windfall $80 billion cash infusion. That, by the way, is set to be reduced to $60 billion after the congressional debt ceiling bill. But regardless, it's still a lot of money. Today, Naomi is back with a different perspective on how to spend it. She spoke with Tony Reardon, national president of the NTEU labor union that represents IRS employees and who will be stepping down from this post next month. Reardon spoke about what it means to work at the IRS in 2023 when the agency seems like more of a political lightning rod than ever. But first, Naomi asked him about how things have changed for IRS employees since he first joined the NTEU three decades ago. Probably the most notable thing that I've noticed is that over that that three-decade period, you've had uh, an agency go from one that was relatively well-funded to one that has really been decimated in terms of its funding. Now, of course, um, with the Inflation Reduction Act and the $80 billion um, that were brought to the IRS as the, as the result of that, of course, now changed really down to $60 billion. But, you know, that funding has again started to, to uh, come back to uh, the IRS. But along with that lack of funding that really started in, a, in pretty dramatic fashion back in about 2010, you had uh, an agency that lost about 20,000 or so uh, employees. You know, I mentioned the, the $80 billion. And there were a lot of folks on Capitol Hill who were trying to make the argument that that meant that there were going to be 87,000 new um, armed federal uh, law enforcement officers in the IRS that are going to come in to your home and, and you know, take your, uh, I don't know, children or something, whatever they, you know, were trying, whatever lies were being peddled about that. And that is really disrespectful to, certainly in that case, the IRS, but it really kind of puts a target on the back of all federal employees. And so I'm, I'm worried about what is really, it, it seems, a relentless campaign to discredit federal agencies and the, and the people who work um, at those agencies. And, and that, to this moment, remains troubling to me. How have those sort of false claims about 87,000 armed agents harassing the middle class, like, how does that impact uh, IRS employees on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, that's a great question. And and I would say that, you know, in, in multiple ways, one of which, of course, is that it places them squarely in danger. I, I can tell you that there are so many IRS employees, for example, who, when asked Um, what they do for a living, they will not disclose that they work for the IRS. Oftentimes they will say, work for the Department of Treasury, work for the federal government. But many are very fearful of disclosing that they are IRS employees for fear that somehow, you know, harm could come to them. It has other impacts as well. For example, The IRS is in the process now of trying to rebuild its staffing. If there are all of these lies being told about the IRS and also the recognition by a potential employee that 
holy mackerel, if I become an IRS employee, I'm going to have that target on my back. Who wants to work for the IRS in that situation? What do you think the IRS can do to improve recruiting and retention of employees? You know, one of the things that I've that I've often um, I've, I've talked to Treasury about this. I've talked to IRS leadership. You know, when you have jobs and, you know, let's just say, for example, we're talking about a customer service job, which is, you know, a, a job that has a lot of people in it at the IRS, right? They're answering phone calls and we've all heard about that. So you have one of those jobs that, for the sake of argument, let's say the individual starts off making $16.52 an hour. And, and right down the street, you've got some store, Target or, you know, whatever. And they can literally start, the employee could start there making $20, $21, $22 an hour. They don't have to go through all the background checks and all the requirements um, that an that a, uh, IRS employee has to go through, and they're gonna make four, you know, three, four, five dollars more an hour. So, what I've talked to, as I mentioned, Treasury and IRS leadership about, you know, within the GS system, there are ways to provide special pay rates. If there are particular jobs that are really hard to fill because of pay, then they need to make full use of the entire GS system, part of which, as I said, are special pay rates. There are different bonuses that can be paid to recruit and retain employees. And so I think these human capital office operations need to make sure they're fully conversant and understand those because I believe many are not. I think that will play a, a pivotal role in b being able to bring in more employees. What about things that the IRS should be doing to keep its existing employees? Well, I think, you know, probably um, I, I mentioned, you know, some of the pay issues. And I think that certainly holds true, you know, in terms of retaining employees. You can use retaining bonuses, that sort of thing. But it goes far beyond that. I think making sure that people have effective career paths um, is important. And maybe the most prominent thing from my perspective is making sure that the agency and its managers are doing everything possible to lift up um, and support and value the current workforce. Because what I'll tell you, and I've, I've said this directly to leadership at, at the agency, the morale has been extraordinarily low. And I think in large measure that is because folks do not feel like it is a supportive environment where they are effectively trained. And, and so those kinds of things need to uh, occur. And I wanna underscore training. You know, back in about two, 2013, I think it was, uh, the IRS um, dramatically cut its training budget. That reality, has resulted in many of the problems that we see today. Um, and what do you think the IRS should do to make sure that more of the Inflation Reduction Act funds aren't cut in some subsequent budget deal and that the IRS continues you know, to get the annual appropriations it needs on top of the Inflation Reduction Act funds? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you raise an important uh, point and one that I'm extraordinarily concerned about and, and quite candidly have been from the very beginning of this. 
and now it looks like the game plan is to kind of chip away at the annual appropriations. I think part of what the agency needs to do is they need to very to be very public about and tell the story of how that money that they're using is making them much more effective. I mean, even if you just look at it from the perspective of the level of service that callers into the IRS, you know, how those numbers are improving. And so the IRS has got to keep, in my view, um, telling that story. I think it is a very difficult problem when you have one side of the aisle that is so hell-bent on trying to take that money. How do the challenges that IRS employees face compare to the challenges that um, employees of some of the other federal agencies that NTU represents face? In so many ways, they, you know, a lot of federal employees kind of have um, uh, shared experiences, you know, but in terms of how um, IRS employees differ, certainly the mere fact that IRS employees work for the Internal Revenue Service, um, there are a lot of uh, requirements around, for example, paying taxes. You can't work at the IRS and and not pay your taxes. I mean, you're, you know, at some point you are, um, you're not gonna be working there anymore. And that's very different than, you know, many others that work at, um, at other uh, federal agencies. It's different than many folks who are in Congress that aren't required to pay their taxes like IRS employees have to. I think also, you know, in many jobs in the IRS, it's about producing numbers. You know, how many returns did you go through? And, and you know, and you can't have more than a certain number of errors and, and those kinds of things. And that I think, based on my experience, tends to be part of the difference it's a, it look it's a challenging environment it's a uh, you have to be a really smart um hardworking employee to to really do a, a a great job at the irs and fortunately so many of uh, um, our members and and irs employees are exactly that your successor will be elected in august uh what piece of advice would you give to your successor oh boy um that's a that's a great question. You know, I think um, my first piece of advice is something that I've always held really um, close and, and dear, and that is no matter what decision you're making, always make that decision with our members at the center of why you're making the decision. It's easy when you've got you know, 34 different agencies where you represent employees and things that are going 100 miles an hour, sometimes it feels like 1,000 miles an hour, you know, and you have to make decisions. But if you make those decisions based on, on, your, on your core beliefs, typically you end up um, in the right place. And so, you know, you've got to make sure that everything that you're doing is based on what is in the best interest of our members and NTEU. And I think that's probably the probably the key piece of advice I would give. That was Tony Reardon, National President of the NTEU Labor Union, speaking with Bloomberg Tax reporter Naomi Jagoda. And that's it for today's podcast. You can find up-to-the-minute news and the latest tax and accounting developments at 
their website, news.bloombergtax.com. That website, once again, is news.bloombergtax.com. Today's Talking Tax was produced by myself, David Schultz. Nick Shreve is our editor. Our executive producer is Josh Block. From Washington, I'm David Schultz. Thanks for listening. I felt like I was in jail every day. When I was going to work, I'm like, I got to get out of here. My executive order calls on the FTC to ban or limit non-compete agreements. Let workers choose who they want to work for. This season on Uncommon Law, we're exploring one of the most expansive Federal Trade Commission proposals in modern history, a nationwide ban on non-compete clauses. Non-compete clauses can really restrict competition. They can be coercive, they can be exploitative. We'll talk to workers who were desperate to take new jobs in their industry only to be blocked by threat of a lawsuit. I remember getting served my cease and desist and thinking that this can't be right, this can't be fair, how can she get away with this? And we'll talk to the business owners who say they depend on these clauses to keep their companies afloat. I think like with anything else, when you enter into an agreement, there are rules. And you decide if you want to participate in that or not. I just believe that there should be some protections for small businesses like myself that are already in a very competitive industry. Plus, does the FTC under chair Lena Khan even have the power to pass this rule? Look, Congress gave the FTC the authority to check unfair methods of competition. There is no limit to what Khan thinks she may be able to achieve if she can label it an unfair method of competition. Lena Khan is not coming out of nowhere. It really is the natural progression of the insights that we have about how harmful non-competes are on our markets. Join us as we explore the far-reaching implications of this proposal and the likely court battle that could shape the future of the American workforce. That's this season on Uncommon Law from Bloomberg Industry Group.